You're listening to Reliterated Episode 3, Part 2. In our discussion on Maniac McGee, we discovered that there's so much to talk about and so much to enjoy about this story that we wanted to give it the attention it deserves and not rush through all the content. So, we're breaking it up into easily digestible chunks for the sake of not keeping us up all night recording one huge mega episode. Trust us, you get a better podcast this way. In Part 1, we witnessed how the legend came to be. Let's find out what happens next to Maniac McGee on Reliterated, the kid eating Cheetos asking to read your new comic book. And welcome back to Reliterated, the lowbrow book club where three completely unqualified man-children read the books we grew up with were assigned to read in school, or were otherwise popular during our childhood in the 90s. We reflect on the lessons we took away from them back then and compare them to how they read now that we're grown-ass men. We use language too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. And we want to welcome you back to Maniac McGee. This is Episode 3, Part 2. Uh, continuing our deep dive into this uh, this 90s masterpiece here. Uh, if you're here, hopefully you've already listened to part one. Uh, if you haven't, please go back and do that because we are going to pick up where we left off at the end of the first episode or the first part of the episode. In fact, we're going to pick up immediately. So here we go. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when Maniac McGee said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, where we left off was um, the Beals home got graffitied with chalk uh, in in an attack on, uh, well, all of them really, but specifically Maniac for, right. being, for being a white kid in a black neighborhood. Yeah, he showed and, up uh, and what was left was Ishbelly Go Home. It was written in chalk. And Mrs. Beale was trying to get it off the side of the house as quickly as possible, but they failed in stopping Maniac from seeing the graffiti on the side of the house. At this point, Maniac doesn't really know what to do, and Amanda is trying to get him to stay. She doesn't want him to go, you know, for probably a number of reasons. This this kid's been living at this house now. They've become a family. He's clearly gets along with everybody he's a good kid and she just can't figure out any way to to convince him that this chalk graffiti on the side of the house isn't that big of a deal and at the same time maniac isn't really so upset that someone did that to him that isn't his concern his concern is that his being there is almost a danger to these people that he's decided are a family to him. Right. So he's he's determined that he is going to to leave uh, in order to keep them safe because his presence has uh has drawn the ire of uh certain members of of the community. Not the entire community, but you know, enough that he doesn't feel like they're going to be safe with him being there anymore. He already feels unwanted in uh in the space he's in. Well, and I think it's because he's just now kind of catching on to this idea of people not liking him. And realistically, at this point, we've had one old man that was yelling at him coming from a place of years and years of his own struggles and what he's gone through. Not necessarily something Maniac did, but something other people that look like Maniac have done for a long time. And then a kid who's kind of just a dick anyways, 
It's not so much for Mars. I don't necessarily think it's a race thing. It's a I don't like this kid thing. And it just happens that he's white. And because of that, the racial things pop into it for him because he's just a kid, too. So, right. Yeah. And it's like the easiest thing in the world when you don't like somebody you single out the most noticeable thing that makes them different from you and you uh, drill that into them as something that is a bad, <laughs> it's a bad thing to be because they're, they're different somehow. Right. And not that that quality makes them a bad person or is inherently bad, but because you don't like this person. So how are they different from you? What do they have that you don't? Okay. That must be a bad thing. Right. Because at this point, realistically, the Beals like him, hands down likes him. All the people he's been playing sports with like him. You know, they've given him a nickname. They trash talk with him. They accept him trash talking without any kind of ire going towards him. So it's really just these two loud wheels, these two people being loud about it. And, you know, that speaks to something, too. We often will hear the people that are being loud, even when they're the least of the people that are making noise. That very true. A very, very, a very loud, tiny minority can uh, distort your perception on <laughs> on a lot of things, really. Right, right. So Amanda tries so many different ways to get him to to stay, telling him. Pointing out all the different difficulties he may run into, but he has an answer for everything. So, for instance, she says, "You'll freeze in the you'll freeze to death in winter. Your fingers will get so stiff they'll break off like ice cubes." He says, "I'll go somewhere, somewhere like the deer pen. I'll be okay." Because again, he's lived in the deer pen before. He he's been on his own for year for a couple years now, so he obviously knows how to how to live as a homeless person. In Maniac, unlike one of the things that's different about him is he doesn't necessarily have the same wants as other people. We could all survive without television, without cars, without all without these creature things. comforts. Yeah. Right. We could survive with all these things, all these things, but we don't want to necessarily. We don't choose to. He doesn't really care about whether or not he has that. If he can lay in some warm hay and get the old carrots and burger buns, that's good enough for him. It's a way to be alive. As long as he can read some books and keep running, he's good. But at the end of their back and forth conversation where he has an answer for everything, she really hurts him at one point because they're arguing about how she won't let him borrow books from her anymore. And he says, I'll go to the library. And she's like, you can't go to the library. You need a library card. I'll get a library card. You can't. You need an address. And that is what really hurts Jeffrey is is being basically being told you're homeless. Right. Because earlier when he first moved into the Beals, when they decided he was going to stay that first night, he made a point of getting up, going outside and just staring at that address because of the importance it had to him to know that this is the number that if someone asks me where I live, I can give them this number and that's my house. And she regrets that, too. She didn't like that. She said it. It was one of those hurtful things you say 
out of anger and that you instantly regret. And yep. that's she she says that says that in the book that she regretted it instantly. And his eyes said that her, his eyes were what answered. Yep. And he ran off at this point. He runs away and doesn't say anything else. He just kind of leaves. And she throws a little bit of a tantrum. And, but when you're that age, that seems like the perfect thing to do. When something doesn't go your way and you're upset about it, you kind of you just throw a tantrum. I think she was kind of mad at herself too. Oh, for that sure. She, that she said that. I mean, it says that she cried. She tore a magazine in half. She punched a sofa. You know, and she even blames him. See what you made me do. You know, and it, it wasn't. He didn't really make her do anything. She's the one who decided that. So he doesn't come back by lunch. He doesn't come back by dinner. She decides to go looking. Her parents don't even try and stop her because they're worried too, no doubt. She goes all over the East End, the West End. She even crosses into the West End, which is abnormal, according to everything that we've learned about the book. And across the bridge to to Bridgeport too. Yep. Almost got killed. (laughs) It was dark before she got back home and her parents told her she could stay up and watch some TV and... She fell asleep in the middle of a late night movie and he walked in super late. And it was actually kind of funny. He he asked, what are you doing up so late? She says, I'm incubating an egg. Like, I don't even, where did you come up with that one? <laughs> <laughs> so he, he shrugged. He went upstairs and went to bed. Right. He al- he almost left the left the house, but decided to to come back after after a while. Yep. And she she was actually happy about him being home. She was able to. She closed her eyes and smiled. Yep, she was happy about it, even though she was kind of fighting back at him, even though he came home. So his ability ability to untie knots is something that comes up here, and it kind of gives Amanda an idea. Some kid came over with a yo-yo, and the string was a huge knot, and Maniac untied it and gave it back to him, no problem. And Amanda realizes that there's a knot in two mills that is famous, not only in the East End, but the West End. And it's called Cobble's Knot. This knot, they say, <laughs> if there, if the wonders of the world hadn't stopped at seven, Cobble's Knot would have been number eight. Uh, the guy that owned Cobble's Corner Grocery, he had opened it up. It wasn't doing well. He was barely selling anything. And one morning, just to add insult to injury, when he was coming in, the rope to the flagpole is, you know, I imagine it's a really thick string, had been blown around in the wind all night and turned into this huge knot that was, I think they say it was the size of a uh, A volleyball. A warped warped volleyball, yeah. Yep. And he, at first he went to cut it and then he thought, I've got an idea. And so he brought the knot out. And told people that if you could untangle the knot, he would, at the time it was pizza. No, it was groceries. But he said at the time it was. At the time it was, at the first, when it first started, it was a, uh, a, to go uh, with the candy counter with, with no, nobody in there, just you and the candy. Yep. For 60 seconds. 60 seconds alone with the candy counter was the, the original prize for anyone able to un, to untie the knot. And the and now, deal actually got better, yeah. Yeah, because it went from that candy to now it's a pizza place. And so now it's a free large pizza a week for a whole year, which being Maniac McGee, uh, dude's allergic to pizza. So 
But Amanda figures that if he can do this impossible feat that no one's been able to do for years, then everybody in town is going to like him. Not just the the East End, but the West End, and they'll all nobody will hate him anymore. Right. It's it's kind of the reasoning of a, of a child. It's kind of na- a naive thing to think, but uh, but Maniac goes for it. I, I I like this little part about some of the people that tried to go tried to do it. Tried to beat the knot. Oh, that's a little bit later on. But yeah, hardly a week went by without someone taking a shot at the knot and losing. Each loser added to the glory that awaited someone who could untie it. So it was it, it was a local legend. Right. The knot itself was a legend. Right. Just another legend for Maniac McGee to take down. It, and he even says to her with a grin on his face, you know, that maybe she's just after the pizza because she knows he can't eat it. You know, and she's like, no, it's not it. The pizza's not the point. They do have a really good brother and sister relationship. I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they do. Yep. Just the way she says his name, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They describe it when they come out with the knot for him to to actually uh, untie it. Uh, and the cobble's knot was about as friendly as a nest of yellow jackets. And not only was it tangled, but it had spent years outside getting crusted and, you know, snow, salt, rain, all that stuff just building up on this knot. And it, at some point, they had brought it in, would bring it in after people were done with it. Well, when it dried after having all that stuff on it, it, you know, would have gotten mildewy and just really tough to to try and do but they set up the challenge for maniac to to tackle and you can tell that he's just reveling in the challenge he's sitting there turning the knot over checking it out poking and prodding it uh playing around with it and a whole bunch of people from town come to come to see his attempt well not at first only a few people were watching at first only a few at first but this (laughs) was my favorite part uh (laughs) uh, and half of them were hex angels a roving tricycle gang of four and five-year-olds. So in my head, <laughs> I saw like this group of little kids wearing leather jackets on big wheels. That was yes, what, the big that wheels. That was exactly what I thought of. <laughs> yep. Oh man, it was just great imagery in my head. I was just like, "This is hilarious." <laughs> just imagine that like that kid with the big wheel and the Incredibles. <laughs> yeah. Who's just waiting at the end of the driveway for something. Incredible to have it. Yep. <laughs> times six or seven of those kids. So, yeah, but they get antsy after a few minutes. They think it's only going it, to, because they think so highly of Maniac, they think he's going he's gonna to kill it in just a couple of minutes, but it, it's not that kind of knot. Nope. So this they is went a little bit zooming too much. off to find somebody to terrorize these <laughs> <laughs> four and five year olds. By themselves. Ra- uh, no, too. These are these are four and five year olds, and yeah, we're the unsupervised four yeah, the, and five year olds. <laughs> they're unsupervised riding tricycles around town. <laughs> How hey, old is your youngest? It was Harold? the seventies. Clark will be Clark? five in June, and there is no way I would let him go anywhere <laughs> outside of my sight right now. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine just a a group of a handful of kids Clark's age? Just oh, riding man. around and terrorizing That's terrifying. people. Yeah. <laughs> Clark I don't know if I'm more ringleader. scared for them oh, yeah. or for the people that they're going up right. against. But yeah, Clark would be the leader of the Hex Angels. He would be the ringleader with an iron <laughs> fist. <laughs> <laughs> so he is messing with the knot for quite a while. He's 
just poking at it, prodding, you know, and pulling at little spots. Not too much, never anything that would tighten it here or loosen it there. And people are all watching him and they're like, what the heck? He's not even he's not even doing too well here. You know, this knot's going to beat him. And when it comes around to lunchtime, everybody had walked off. But when lunchtime rolled around, people started coming back. And now grown-ups, black and white grown-ups, kids, uh, they're all there because Cobble's Corner's on on Hector. And so that's the dividing line between the East End and the West End. And it's, you know, this event is bringing people out to come together to watch it because they all know who he is and they want to see if he's going to do it because they've obviously heard at this point that he unties knots like a master. And what did the people see when they got there? The knot had grown, swelled, exploded. It was a frizzy globe. The newspaper the next day described it as a gigantic hairball, which is kind of gross if you think about it. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) This is a big enough happening that the newspaper picked it up. I mean, well, it was back in the, we'll say 70s or 80s, whatever. And it was Cobble's Knot. A lot of local things, yeah, but it was was an event in the town of Two Mills. But he had it practically at loops at this point, and finally somebody yells out, he found the end. So he found something that no one else had found up to this point, and everybody started applauding because it, it had to have been exciting. I mean, you see this kid doing this, and no one's ever gotten anywhere with it. Cobbles was selling pizza left and right. They were selling Zeps, which is a kind of steak sandwich. And it is a it is a sandwich. Of soda. Yep. I was gonna say, yeah, let's what explain a what a zep is. Yeah. So a zep is a type of sandwich. It is on a type of hoagie, which is but it's a little bit wider, and it is made with, I believe, with salami, onions, and tomatoes. A peppercorn salami, provolone cheese, tomato, and fresh onion, oil, and oregano, and it's a sandwich that's native to Norristown, Pennsylvania. Ah. It sounds Michigan delicious. Is, is the two mills. Uh, basis so a very regional type of sandwich kind of like the philly cheese steak of uh of a, a small <laughs> philadelphia neighborhood i mean that that does sound really good to me i had a jj gargantuan today with extra items on it so that kind of sandwich be right up my alley i'm not a fan of well vegetables so oh yeah, yeah you guys <laughs> you guys are both really anti-veggie like, uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a fan of like tomato and onion on on my sandwiches. So, <laughs> I mean the the peppercorn salami sounds real good, and the cheese. Okay, get one of those. <laughs> but anyways, cobble's not orig- originated as kind of a publicity thing to to draw in business for Cobble's Corner, uh, because the business wasn't doing too good, and so he set up this challenge to bring people in. And boy, is it working today with this maniac kid tackling the the monstrosity that it's become. Right. He's probably selling enough pizza, enough sandwiches, enough soda, all that to pay for the year of pizza a week, once a week. So It was so notable that Mr. Cobble came out. He tried to give Maniac some pizza, but obviously he's like, no, no thanks. But he did get soda, and this is where we he gets the, the first taste of the Tasty Cake Butterscotch Crimpets. And these Butterscotch Crimpets, I will say that when I read about these years ago, I thought they were like Werther's. I thought they were a hard candy that you you pulled out and you ate like that. I didn't think that 
they were, you know, and I guess I see now tasty cake, butterscotch crimpets, and it never really occurred to me tasty cake. Right. Yeah. It's, it just, it's a very specific brand. Right. Right. It just, to me, I was like, yeah, they're, they're like Werther's, but they are not Werther's. No, they're like a little Debbie cake. Kinda they're like, kind of like a Twinkie. Yeah. Yeah. They're was, like an angel, they're angel food, food cake, cake with butterscotch icing. But the icing isn't a very strong butterscotch. It's well, a very light butterscotch. What we did was got ourselves some butterscotch crimpets. And let me tell you, it was quite the job to get them because we <laughs> could not find them anywhere. Yeah, it's a very regional brand. Yep. And Tasty Cake has actually been sold since then to another company. So even the butterscotch crimpets that we were able to get are not necessarily the same butterscotch crimpets that Maniac McGee ate. So we, I guess I don't know if the butterscotch was more butterscotchy at that time. Or maybe we just hear butterscotch and we're like, it's got to be heavy butterscotch. But they weren't at all what we expected. <laughs> no. Right. I associated them with like the butterscotch flavor of uh, Dum Dums lollipops. And I never really particularly liked those. But I do, I do feel like I'd be able to recognize the flavor of them. And, right. Yeah. Harold and I ordered some off of Amazon. That's how we acquired ours. Uh, Josh was. Able I went to, to seven <laughs> stores. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your odyssey oh. in locating butterscotch so, crimpets, Josh. I had to go. I went first. I I just was like, oh, it says right here on the internet that they have them at Walmart. So I went to Walmart. They didn't have them. I went to another Walmart. That was the one of the marketplace ones. They didn't have them. I went to multiple types of grocery stores and Dollar Generals and they had tasty cake, but they didn't have the butterscotch crimpets. So the next day I was like, okay, I'll go to the South side and go to those stores. And I found finally at Save Mart on Fair Oaks in Sacramento. I walked in, I saw tasty cake and I saw donuts and I saw glazed honey, and I was like, not again. But then I walked down the <laughs> aisle, and what did I see in the aisle? Butterscotch crimpets! Oh, so happy. <laughs> and then I, I took a picture. feeling so bad. I took yeah. the picture, and I sent it to you guys. I said, jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> Every store I went to, I was like, come on, butterscotch crimpets, and I did not find them. Ended up having to order them. Even after I ordered them, I still went out and tried to find them because we weren't sure if we were going to get them in time. And yeah. we actually did a little video that we're going to share for everybody to watch us when we try the butterscotch crimpets for the first time. Yep, and we released this uh, this episode. We're go also going to post that on our YouTube and probably link to it in the uh, in the subreddit as well. And we have a special little offer at the end of the episode, so make sure to listen all the way to the end. Absolutely. Yep, and it's butterscotch crimpet re related. Yep, <laughs> crimpet adjacent. We'll say. So Maniac <laughs> polished off these crimpets and all of a sudden he lays down and takes a nap and the knot's just hanging above him. Everybody's sitting there like, what is going on right now? And he slept for exactly 15 minutes. And it says that Maniac <laughs> knew what the rest of them didn't. The hardest part was yet to come. And he needed to know all the right ways to untangle it. So he he wanted to be fresh. 
and sometimes taking a nap, you know, I've I've done that before, take a 10, 15 minute nap. And it's amazing how you can fall asleep. Sometimes if you're in the right mindset, you fall asleep for 10 or 15 minutes and wake up and you feel extremely refreshed. Yeah, I take a nap today. every day in my car. <laughs> I have an hour for lunch. I don't need a whole hour. So I take I lean back, take 10, 15 minutes, just kind of zonk out a little bit, refresh. And it's like recharging a battery. It's great. So again, the Jerry Spinelli being a wizard with words as he is, he uh, he states that he would need the touch of a surgeon, the alertness of an owl, the cunning of three foxes, and the foresight of a grandmaster in chess. So you know he's this knot is in need of some extreme focus for him to finish it out. And we're talking extreme focus for a kid that has been easily untying crazy knots throughout this entire story so far. And yes, I was going to say Smedelli, he's his, his writing is just very impressive as far as the imagery, because you can mm. literally see this thing and you can see him untangling it. This whole paragraph about how he's doing it, Without actually saying that he's undoing it. Right. You know, he threaded the end through a maze, dipping and doodling through openings the way he squiggled a football through a defense. That's, you know, that's great. That's just great imagery. Because you can see this little kid weaving in and out of these high school players because he did it earlier in the book. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I want to say this right now because I just came to my mind, but... um, for my entire life since reading this book, one of the things that has probably kept it in my mind for the longest is I've always imagined Maniac McGee to be wearing gray sweatpants and a blue hoodie. And that look, which I've seen on movies and TV shows, you know, you see this, uh, especially 80s movies and TV shows. And I believe maybe even the original cover of the book might have had a kid in a blue hoodie and, and gray sweatpants. And I'm just sitting here as you're saying, you can see him mm. doing it. That just popped into my head, seeing him standing up on this table in a gray hoodie and gray sweat <laughs> or uh, blue hoodie and gray sweatpants working on it. Huh. And uh, I don't know. It, it was just weird because I was when I originally thought to say something about this book, the first image that came to my head was that some kid wearing those clothes. And I'm like, I know, I don't remember the name of the book, but (laughs) (laughs) anyhow, it's pointless, but it's just one of those things. So the people are still gathered watching maniac tackle this knot. The, they are munching on cobbles pizza and spilled across Hector street from sidewalk to sidewalk saying, Ooh, and ah, and then around dinner time, the crowd went nuts. He had done it. The knot was dead. The knot was dead. There was no longer a knot, just a string. It was not anymore. <laughs> oh! <laughs> you better not mention that again, cocksucker. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> So this uh, turns the whole corner into a madhouse. There's cap guns and firecrackers and si- sirens and war whoops. I mean, this is a big deal. People people were excited to see this happen. This knot's been around for a long time. A lot of people have tried, and to have it happen was crazy. Uh, kids wanted photographs. There was homemade confetti flying around. Mr. Cobble was giving him the, the certificate for the year's worth of large pizzas. And, you know, beaming with pride. 
And uh, people were trying to guess how long the rope was to see, you know, how big was this knot. Turned out the piece of string was four and a half blocks long after someone tied it to a stop sign and started walking <laughs> just to just to see how long it was. But someone who should have been very excited actually wasn't yelling because something else had happened. Amanda was not was not yelling. She was holding on to some of the confetti. Yeah, people were going nuts throwing confetti, but Amanda noticed something something off about these little pieces of confetti. They sure seem to look like pages of her books. Well, one book in particular, Encyclopedia A, because her Maniac very saw Encyclopedia A. Yeah, he picked up a scrap. It said Africa. Another one mentioned ants. Another Aristotle. The Encyclopedia A. That just and seems a real it, shitty thing to do. <laughs> it seems like, like a very childish just... thing to do. And uh, my my guess is that it was uh, Mars Bar. I think oh, yeah, Mars Bar saw, saw Let's it. just blame the antagonist. <laughs> I mean, yep. something a child would do. He had easy access to it. He knew it would upset Amanda, who I'm pretty sure he may have a crush on her, possibly. That could be it. <laughs> Whoa, is that not explored in the? <laughs> in it the was text. a little bit, but not too much. It was more of how they reacted to each other. When you're at that age, you kind of tease the people that you like, and he was kind of teasing her a little bit before too. So I was thinking maybe that's that's what it is. And later on in the story, they they kind of talk about how they uh, how they're friends, and she starts calling him something else. But so right. I thought that was part that might be part of it. And that could be, but he also wanted to hurt Maniac, and he oh, knew yeah. kind of that hurting Maniac was best done by hurting people around Maniac. Because at no point did Maniac seem like anything he had done up to that point to him specifically really bugged him. He pushed him, he shoved him, he yelled at him, he bumped him, he, he had done all these things, and Maniac was kind of oblivious at that point. But the moment that he hurt Amanda's family in whatever way, whether it was writing the the fish belly on the side of the house or allegedly. or tearing up this book. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. allegedly. yeah, we don't know it was him, but we're just left to kinda the, kinda guess. But it's a it's an educated guess. It's an educated guess, yep. So but the fact uh, of the matter is that now Amanda specifically is hurt and that is the uh the straw that broke the camel's back for for old maniac. Yep, he couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't stay there and worry about hurting them anymore. He didn't want them to pay the price for him having a home. And so he left. He went up Sycamore Street and he got to the corner of Hector. But then who was waiting for him? McNabb and the Cobras. And they saw so, that he had a, his. They saw that he had his uh, his certificate. And they're like, "Hey, come here. We, we I heard you got your uh, prize." Come on, come back. So he turned and he went to went looked at the other side and who was on the other side of the street? The Mars Bar. <laughs> the Mars Bar crew. <laughs> yep. A bunch of Eastenders and one of them was Mars Bar. And he now he's got kind of the worst of both sides of town, uh walking along either side of him and heckling him. And he just he <laughs> it's it's really it's really sad that um, when, when people do like special, when special people do special things, it's some, it draws out, uh, the worst in a lot of people who are just resentful. Haters gotta hate. Yeah. But do they gotta, I mean, come on. Well, no haters gonna hate. I think <laughs> is how it's said. Gonna. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, that's how Maniac kind of walked right out of town, right up the middle of Hector Street. He walked. He couldn't go to the west, and he yep, he walked. He didn't run. He walked. And that is how the first part of the book ends. Yep, with him walking out of town and both sides of the both side both sides of town shouting, yelling, cursing at each other. So yeah, that was part De- one. Def- definitely, definitely a dark point in the story. Part one of the book. Of the we yes. were not able to get all the way through part one <laughs> with our first part of a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's super poetic. How like the greatest triumph is immediately followed by you know the most well it's it's like maniac's not running he's walking while being harassed by uh, the worst people he's come across so far so it's the highest high followed by the lowest low where we end up finding maniac next as part two begins is in the Elmwood Park Zoo, and he's decided not to stay in the deer shed. Instead, he's living with the buffalo. What actually happens is that he goes into the same pen, but they moved the deer and the buffaloes previously, and that right. is why he is with the buffalo. Also, I love that because I have an unhealthy obsession with buffaloes. Because <laughs> yes, I happen to love Guy on a Buffalo. Uh, I have a horse on Red Dead Redemption named Buffalo. Uh, yeah, I kind of like buffaloes. But I did look up the Elmwood Park Zoo. It is still there to this day. It is a real place. And yes. they still have buffalo. Oh, they still got buffalo. And giraffes. I wonder, I wonder if anybody tries to kiss the buffalo like, <laughs> out of their love for the book. <laughs> so, you know, it just occurred to me as you were reminding me that he actually went to the same shed and it was now buffalo instead of deer. So Maniac went back to the last place that he lived. And he didn't go there and see, oh, there's buffalo in there now. I'm going to go find the deer and stay in their shed. He simply went and stayed in the same shed because that was his home. Yeah, like it's kind of it's it's revealed later. Like he thought it, he thought the deer were still there, but it turns out it was the buffalo. But uh, he stayed there anyway. So whether he was there for the deer or because or for the specific place. I don't I don't know. Well, I'm thinking that the reason he stayed in the deer shed was because he figured the deer would be, I don't know, less likely to trample him or something, which isn't necessarily true. I mean, I've watched videos of deer standing up on their hind legs and straight boxing people. Oh, yeah. I've, so, I've, I've seen a yeah. fuck a dude up. That was crazy. Right. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he thought that, I guess. But he might have thought that as a kid, like, hey, deer will probably not be mean. And you'd think a buffalo. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a buffalo, but they are fucking huge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I had never actually I've, – I've seen a buffalo once, but I was in a car and it was off in the distance. And then there's a gas station around here uh, on the highway and they actually have a mounted buffalo head. And that was the first time that I had walked in and seen the size of just the buffalo's shoulders and head. And I was like, holy shit, I did not realize <laughs> those things are gigantic monsters. <laughs> holy crap. So for him to be staying with Buffalo, I mean, it seems like it'd be more dangerous and he might want to find a different spot, but he doesn't. He stays in that same shed. And I don't know if that's meant to be like, hey, he came back to the same place. Whoever lived there, he lived there with them now. I think he just feels that it's a safe place. 
He's never been hurt. No one's ever gone after him there. He just kind of keeps to himself when he's there. He's only there at night. So he, he just, you know, you go where it's safe. Safety is a big part of the human condition. So if you don't feel you're safe, you can't sleep. So that's what okay. my, my conclusion was. Again, buffaloes are fucking huge. I would not feel safe <laughs> sitting there sleeping with a goddamn buffalo next to me. Anyways. Anyways. The, he's going into this pen and he's been staying there for a little while. And the baby buffalo is kind of getting used to him. Mama buffalo doesn't seem to necessarily like him. but doesn't really care that he's there. And one it's morning. It's really an interesting start to the chapter because this part two, it actually is kind of being told from the perspective of the baby buffalo. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's seeing, you know, you're nuzzling the new funny hairy-headed animal, and it's nuzzling (laughs) you back. So, I mean, him and Maniac, Mm -hmm. the buffalo and Maniac, are friends. They're becoming friends. Yeah, it's the author recounting the the buffalo's discovery of a small boy in his pen. Yep. Eating eating the carrots like his his mom does. (gasps) Is the baby buffalo the narrator through the entire book? Maybe he is. <laughs> Definitely. Jer- is Jerry Spinelli a buffalo? What a twist. <laughs> what a twist. What a twist. <laughs> so, so one morning, this strange animal climbs over the fence and falls onto the ground and just lies there. And the buffalo tries to poke him and wake him up, but it won't work. And finally, an old man comes driving through in a park pickup and he spots the kid and he goes over and he's trying to pick him up and he uh, he has to he's older. So, I mean, he's not as strong as he once was. And finally, he's able to pick him up and get him up into the truck. And, you know, he makes he has this thought where he's like he uh, he knew he should take the kid straight to the hospital or a doctor, someplace official, someplace right. But the pickup just sort of steered itself back to the band shell. So I was really confused by this because wouldn't you take somebody who's obviously hurt to a hospital? That's just it seems weird that he didn't take him there. Well, and I mean, he calls it out himself that, you know, he thinks he should have taken him to the hospital. I was thrown off because I think that this is entirely meant in a completely innocent way. And obviously it is as we go forward here, we'll see that, but it's kind of strange for an old man to pick up a young boy who's passed out, put him in his truck and drive him back to a place where no one else knows where they are. (laughs) You know, I mean, (laughs) I was a little uncomfortable as an adult reading this part. Like I was like, Ooh, that's (laughs) weird for him to do that. I read it as kind of a paternal instinct, some kind of mystical uh, destiny type of of thing. Like I'm, I was destined to find this kid and nurse him back to health. Right, and I mean, I took it that way too. But at the same time, I'm like, I feel like this would be problematic if somebody <laughs> caught him doing this. If somebody saw right. that he was taking this kid back to this band show, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, they'd be like, yeah. "What are you doing?" He, oh, I was totally trying to help him. Oh, sure you were, buddy. You know, <laughs> here, let us help you into these silver bracelets. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> so he takes him into the the storage uh, kind of closet storage room where they keep the baseball equipment. Yeah, he covered him up. He covered up Jeffrey, and then Jeffrey says something says hey so so he knows he's alive now the old man knows he's alive yep he asked where he was the guy the old man tells him he's in the band shell and they're in the back equipment room and 
the kid asks, you know, and who are you, you know, and this man introduces himself as Grayson. And this is when we realize that, well, who we've met here is Robin after he grew old. I was just about to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I pictured this old man man. in a red coat with with green pants looking like Robin. That's how I imagined the entire time. You got a yellow hat on. Obviously Nightwing phase. It's Nightwing phase for sure, right? Old man Nightwing. (laughs) So it's not, actually. I know that everybody believed us, but it's not Nightwing or Robin. (gasps) Um, So he says, you know, his name is Grayson and Maniac asks if he knows him and he's like, I guess you do now. And so he got up and heated some water up on a hot plate and made him some chicken noodle cup of soup. And he gave it to Maniac, and Maniac uh, just slurps it down. He doesn't even take a spoon. I would not be surprised to find out the cup of soup is a Philadelphia <laughs> local brand somehow. No, cup of soup's real. <laughs> no, cup, cup of soup's real. I know, I know it's real. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying if if we're in another local to Philadelphia kind of thing. No, Maybe cup of soup is very, it's all over. Yeah, There's a yeah. lot of It's Philly like ramen. Yep. Yeah, I know. I know what a cup of soup is still. It's a cup. With soup and it's got it. soup in it. Yeah, and noodles. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and you take water that you heat up and pour it in there to make it. <laughs> so and then and then you have a cup of soup. A cup. Cup of soup. Oh, cup, cup of soup. soup. Yeah. No, so not cup o soup. That's totally different. Yeah, that's a different uh, brand. So cup dash a dash soup. Cup a cup soup. soup. <laughs> so. <laughs> He asked kid if he's right still now, hungry. Right now, all we're doing it, we're just we're just uh, leveraging for a uh, cup of soup sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Hoping that they'll get a hold of us. <laughs> a delicious, delicious cup of soup. Now with more sodium. Sponsorship. <laughs> you know, this you mentioned sodium brings me back to when I was eating like two of those chunky soups a day. You guys are both like, Jesus, dude, how much sodium is in those? And I mean, I hadn't even thought of it. Just fucking pounding down two and three chunky Campbell's soups a day. And then it finally caught up with me. I'm like, oh, feeling really bloated. <laughs> yeah, that is your blood turning to sludge. Yep. <laughs> Why does my heart hurt? <laughs> so. Does anybody else smell Anyways, toast? we have... We have spent yep. maybe ten minutes on this half a page. Yes, oh, yes, yeah. yes. We need to move on. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, he, they, they, uh, he asked me still hungry. The kid says, "Yeah, a little bit." So he comes back with a zap, which we know what that is. And the kid ate it faster than it took uh, Grayson to get it. And he tells him not to eat so fast because he gets sick. So the kid, you know, he slows down and probably at the end of it. Um, he asked where he gets, got his scratches and he told him it was a picker bush from hiding. And he said he was hiding from some kids and, uh, he was sitting there and he asked a favor and Grayson's like, shoot, whatever. And he says, uh, can we go somewhere and get some butterscotch crimpets? Because he has become addicted to these butterscotch crimpets. Ooh, I need my fix. uh, I need them butterscotch crimpets. And the old man (laughs) says that he will, he will do it for him. But only if he tells him his name. So he lets him know he's Jeffrey McGee. He asks where he lives. 
He told him that he used to live on 728 Sycamore. And the old man is kind of thrown off by this because he's like, that's the East End. And he scraped the dirt off the kid's arm and says, okay, we need to. Oh, he scraped the dirt off the kid's arm and he asked, what are you doing? And the old man says, seeing if you was white under there. And because... Again, everybody knows in this town that East End's East End, West End's West End. He asked him everybody why. Everybody knows it. Yeah, everybody it's knows it's it. It's just something that everybody knows. It's a hard fact. Hard fact of life there. He asked him what he was doing at the zoo, said he was living with the buffaloes, and he thought it was the deer pen when he went there. And Grayson lets him know, yeah, they switched the deer and the buffalo, buffalo around. And he says he got along better with the buffaloes anyway. And then uh, Grace tells him, yeah, well, you definitely smell like a buffalo. <laughs> so then he brings up the crimpets so, again, and they're like, okay, they yep, let's crimpets. go. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So he ended up buying a whole box of three packs, which is not what we got because we only got two packs, which I feel gypped. These crimpets in the book come 10 packs of three. And I think we got, was it 12 packs of two? Yeah. Is what they do nowadays. So 24. We were gypped out of three crimpet or uh, six crimpets. <laughs> a, yeah, six. <laughs> yeah. yeah math. math. This is a reading 20? podcast, yeah, not a math a- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're not trying to solve math problems, dude. <laughs> so, we're trying to solve racism. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> So I was going to say Grayson takes Maniac and uh, they go to the YMCA, which is where Grayson lives. And uh, he takes Grayson and he goes with Grayson to get a shower. And after the shower, which he stayed in for a very long time, he told him to take off his rags and pointed the way to the showers. He took the shower. And then when he came back, he, he had Grayson had some other clothes for him. And Grayson said, I called the U.S. Army in to haul them buffalo rags away. He said, they come in with gas masks on. They use tongs to pick them up and put them in a steel box. And they took the box away to bury it at the bottom of the first mine shift they come to. That's a great dad joke. Yep. Oh, <laughs> man. I had that underlined as well. Yep. <laughs> if you didn't bring it up, I was going to. They both laughed uncontrollably at that. They laughed and, and laughed. This is kind of the beginning of a... Uh, a great relationship for yeah. Maniac. This is this is when they and start Grayson. truly bonding. Yep. So Grayson wants to know what he's gonna do, and he says he, Maniac's first thought is a job. He and he says he could work for the park, and Grayson's like, "Yeah, well, where are you gonna stay?" And Maniac's like, "That baseball room is perfect. I mean, shit, I was covering up with hay at night." And uh, Grayson asked him, what, what are you going to do about school? And Maniac was uh, getting some butterscotch icing off the wrapper. And Maniac didn't want to, he didn't really like, or Grayson didn't really like asking questions. And he really hated waiting for the answers. And I imagine asking a second time. And he asked him, what about school again? And Maniac's like, what about it? And he's like, you're going to go, you got to go. And he's like, I'm not going. And he says, you know, you got to go. And he goes, not if they don't find me, (laughs) you know, because I mean, at this point, he's been avoiding school for it's nearly got to be two years at this point because he spent quite some time living with the Beals. And then there's that whole lost year between uh, what was the town he ran away from? 
Holidays. Holiday, Holidaysburg, yep. Holidaysburg. Holidaysburg yep. and two mills. Yep. Where he what, didn't go to school at all either. So and it's been getting out of to school be, for a while. Yeah, it's end of summer. So that that happened. The cobbles not happened in August. And we have to imagine it's been a couple weeks since then because, you know, he's had a little bit of food while he was living in the Buffalo pen. But the reason he passed out is because he hadn't been getting enough food. And he's also been kind of on the run from uh, from bullies. Mm hmm. Hiding, hiding in picker bushes, so it's more added stress than than he had before. And he let Grayson know that he didn't like school because it's like a home, but you can only stay there during the day, and that everybody has to leave, and you can't use it as an address, and because an address is where you stay the night. So you know you walk in without knocking, and everybody uses the same toaster. So even that. It, where everybody talks to each other and uses the same toaster. So he's even saying, like, it doesn't matter if you live in a house with the numbers on the outside. If nobody talks to each other like his aunt and uncle and you got a second toaster so that you aren't using each other's <laughs> toaster, then that's not a house home either. Right. A, a house divided is not a home. Yep. And he lets Grayson know that if he tries to make him go to school, he'll just start running. And Grayson believes him. And so he takes him back to the bandshell. Yep. Just as Maniac was finishing the last of the the 30 crimpets. Yep. <laughs> He's just packing these things away. Well, they went to a diner and they ate a bunch of food and uh, they got coconut custard pie for dessert. And while Maniac was eating that dessert, uh, Grayson asks, them black people, they eat mashed potatoes too. And Maniac's like... <laughs> Are you kidding me? And he's like, yeah, Mrs. Beale used to have potatoes a lot, mashed in every other way. And he's the old man. He's like, what? Like, he can't believe it because to to him, they're uh, brown, black people are an other and they must be different. They must be so yeah. different than, than him. I don't know what he thinks about, like, what do they do or if he just doesn't think about them at all, just puts them out of his mind as much as possible because he asks about just small things like do they the meatloaf uh, the meatloaf uh, do they got toothbrushes <laughs> do they got toothbrushes you yeah. know just yeah just the Wait. most basic things like they're human so yeah <laughs> right but i mean that speaks to something that speaks to this idea where you have these stereotypes of how people are and he's blown away that they eat mashed potatoes and meatloaf you know, he probably thinks they eat certain things and that what white people eat is different things. And it's just interesting to see. He's not even like saying anything bad about anybody. He's just kind of curious, like, yeah, I've never really asked. I don't really know. So it, it was just interesting. And, and he asked about cake and he's like, yeah, Mrs. Beale makes the best cake in the world. You know, like, what are you <laughs> what are you asking here, dude? So, I mean, he even. What confused me about this was he's been out of that town. We'll learn shortly that he's been a, a lot. He's been all over the place. Yeah, he's traveled. So, he played baseball all over. So to, right. to not know these things, it's very interesting. Yeah, it is kind Maybe of interesting. But I mean. He might just not have been interested in, in knowing before also. Right. Well, this is what brought interest to him is this is somebody who actually lived in the same house, you know, so. And he said, Maniac even says, Grayson, they're just regular people like us. Exactly. And Grayson says, I was never in a house of theirs. And he says, well, I'm telling you, it's the same. There's bathtubs and refrigerators and rugs and TVs and beds. And Grayson is like, ain't that something? <laughs> you know, and he, 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 he's just blown <laughs> away by this. It's the damnedest thing. <laughs> That's the damnedest thing. Yeah. 
But, you know, I mean, he's interested. He wants to know. And it's one of those things where at the time, obviously in this town, they're separated at least. And maybe that's just a inconsistency because you're right. He did travel all over. But as far as it goes for the story, it's not that he doesn't like anybody. He just doesn't know because it's not something you you ask. It's natural not to in this town. So so after this, they go back to the equipment room. But Grayson actually offers uh, for Maniac to come stay at his place at the Y. Because the ground is, the floor is pretty hard. But Maniac, he, he feels very, he's touched by the offer. But he, he, he wasn't going to do it because of all the bad luck he's had with parents over the years is what the book says. And so he's, he's not ready like, to trust oh, again. Yeah. It's not bad here. And I like and it isn't terrible like for homeless kids sleeping on on those chest protectors. And for Jeffrey, I think that would actually be better because again, he doesn't like he doesn't like beds. <laughs> he doesn't like sleeping on a scoop of mashed potatoes. So, yep. So he, I liked... he he's like thank you for the offer, but I I'm good here. Yep. He padded the the uh, pads and was like, I can sleep here. And he tells Grayson he needs to tell him a bit bedtime story. And I liked a little back and forth here because Grayson's like, I don't have any stories. And and he's like, yeah, you do. And Grayson says, not me. And uh, Maniac's like, well, you lie in the baseball fields. You live at the Y. You drive the park pickup. You like butterscotch crimpets. And Grayson says, not as much as you. I was just eating them to be friendly so you wouldn't have to eat them all by yourself. <laughs> And then Maniac calls him out. Liar! Yeah, and, then, and, there, and he says, and there's another thing there's about you, Maniac joked, you're a liar. <laughs> and they laughed. Yep. But this is when we find out what Grayson used to be. So Grayson's about to leave, and then Maniac calls out, what did you want to be when you grew up? He says, a baseball player. And he turned out the light and left. And then next morning, who's there? Grayson. Comes in with, comes in with breakfast, and... Uh, Maniac ribs him a little bit. You sent me to bed without a story last night. (laughs) (laughs) But Grayson, again, he's like, I don't have a story. Yep, I don't have any story to give you. Maniac, the way he does, he pries a little bit, pries a little bit, and actually got him to say a few things. And he was like, well, I I didn't get, I just got to the minors. And to Maniac, this is amazing. That he was that right. good that he could get to the minor leagues, whereas Grayson feels as a failure because he never made it to the majors. Right. And that's one of those things where it's like, you know, it, I mean, I don't know a lot about baseball, but I can't imagine that getting to the minors is any easy. T- I don't think that I could just run out, start playing baseball tomorrow and get into the minors. So, I mean, you got to have some skill to be there as well. You can't make it to the majors without getting to the minors. So, obviously... It's got some bearing on it. And I love this little bit of writing here. Uh, Maniac asks, you must have been good. What position did you play? And Grayson said, pitcher. And this word, unlike the others, was not worn at all, but fresh and robust. It startled Maniac. It declared, I am not what you see. So after all of this uh, kind of downplaying him, himself, of having no stories, and his life wasn't... Uh, wasn't all it's cracked up to be, or is not nothing special. You get him talking about his dream, about uh, about who he was in his prime, and uh, all of a sudden he takes a different tone. Yep, and we actually find out Grayson's first name here, and it's Earl, but he he wants him not to call Dick. him Grayson. Yeah, it's not Dick. <laughs> 
It's Earl, Earl Grayson. Dick Grayson. It's Dick Grayson's <laughs> cousin. Yeah, twice removed. Twice removed, yep. <laughs> yep. Grayson says, yeah, I had a cousin who uh, was a circus performer. Yep. Lost his parents, too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Got adopted by some billionaire out there. <laughs> Wonder what he's up to now. Yep. <laughs> So when Grayson came back, he starts telling some stories about uh, playing in the minor leagues, and Maniac really likes it. He's enjoying the stories, and he tells a story about when he first started in the minor leagues, and someone had asked him when he got to the first town he was going to if he was a new ball player, and the guy, he says, Grayson says yes, and they tell him to go over to this restaurant and just sit down and order the big, best breakfast or food or biggest steak you can get. And it's all on the house. They love to treat the new rookies. So he goes in there. He orders it. And he gets up to leave. And he finds out that that was bullshit. <laughs> the guy was fucking with him. <laughs> and now he missed his first day going to play for the minor leagues because he had to clean dishes in the kitchen to pay for his lunch. <laughs> His lunch of a 16-ounce steak, half a broiled chicken, and two pieces of rhubarb pie. Which is a lot of food. Which, it's a lot of food. But I guess for a young athlete that- <laughs> A young athlete, yep. yeah, would, uh, yep. would have a big appetite like that. Plus, it's free. Yeah, he was treating himself. He was, yeah. Treat yourself. He, he took- uh, maniac with him to go to work and stuff and the superintendent just made sure that he that he knew that they weren't going to be paying the kid to be there but maniac just I think enjoyed the company and hearing stories and and being around this old man who clearly didn't have any friends himself this part actually reminded me of when I was younger I would go out with my grandpa and he would go to different jobs and so I would go with him just spend the day with him and get to hear stories and things just like this. So this brought me back to my childhood of, you know, hanging out with my grandpa, him telling me stories about, you know, all the different things he'd done over the years. And it just, you know, gave me a little, little happiness in my heart for, for that. Cause I see they're oh, bonding so nice. the same way that, you know, me and my grandfather bonded. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like this whole, this whole section here with Grayson because yeah, it kind of gives you this, heartwarming feeling of these you know this young kid is going around with this old man and their friends and they obviously enjoy each other's company and it doesn't matter that they're not playing playing games or doing silly things he's having a good time because he's he's with somebody and this guy's teaching him some stuff life lessons and such and the one time that he was going to get a chance to make it to the major leagues he ended up screwing up the game. He couldn't make any of his pitches work. Pitched the worst game of his life, and before the third inning was over, it was twelve to zero, and Grayson had been kicked off the field. And that was when he was twenty-seven years old. That happened to me when I was twelve years old. <laughs> you, you pitched a terrible game. I was the pitcher of the first game of the season, and. Uh, think it was about it was i think around 12 zero before they took me out of the game it was bad it was real bad <laughs> i never pitched again probably a reason i went i went to try out for uh little league and i hit the ball and it was a grounder and i ran to first and before i made it to first i saw the ball coming towards first and i slid into first <laughs> 
And I did not hear the I did not hear the end of it from any of the kids. So even though they were like, "Yeah, you can play," I would I didn't want to play. I didn't. I never. I never wanted to face any of those people ever again because I did not realize uh, that you weren't supposed first? to slide. In yeah, the you're first. supposed to run it out, man. Through. Yeah, well, I get that now. <laughs> well, he knows that now. Well, yeah. <laughs> Trust also, me. I, played I know. They bit, didn't shut so. the fuck up about it. <laughs> 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 well, if it makes you feel any better, I wasn't very good at baseball, other even as a pitcher or outfielder. So I just stopped after, I think, 12, <laughs> 12 or 13. Here's the thing that sucks even worse. I'm actually not bad at baseball. Anytime I've ever played baseball, like just to have fun with people, I can throw the ball really well i can catch the ball really well i can hit the ball really well i'm fast when i run but you know at the time especially i was just really insecure and so having a bunch of kids teasing the shit out of me and not letting it go for (laughs) days i there was no way i didn't want to face them anymore yeah, that's a downside about most sports. You have to play them with people. Yeah. Well, and it's not just playing it with people. It's playing it with – there's nothing wrong with being competitive. But the problem with sometimes with competitiveness is it brings out the dicks. And totally. instead of being instead of being competitive and supportive at the same time where you try and get better – and I think that happens like as you get more serious into a sport and as you've proven yourself around people in a sport. But when you're when you're new and all these other people have been doing it with each other for a while, they are relentless. And it also depends on the people. But these guys were relentless. I mean, they teased me in the halls for the entire time I went to that school. Anytime I saw one of them, they're like, hey, watch out. Don't slide into me. You know, I mean, it, I mean, it was. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. But so that was the sad anyways. story. But the happy story yeah. was about how he he struck out Willie Mays, the very last at bat in the minor leagues before he went to the New York Giants and immortality. Yep. Here's the thing. I did a I did a little bit of research. Uh, May uh, Willie Mays' last game was actually against the Sioux City Sioux, and so it doesn't really line up, unfortunately. Well, I don't think it's meant to line up. There was also not a P&W trolley <laughs> crash that killed a bunch of people in true. the 70s. true. There was a P&W trolley. Yeah. And by the time it crashed, it wasn't the P&W trolley anymore. I actually, when I looked up P&W trolley crash, I found a Google question where somebody asked... I saw that too. The information of yeah, and and the person was like, "I think you are referring to a fictional event," and actually brought up the book (laughs) Maniac McGee to answer the question. I saw (laughs) that exact same thing. Yep, (laughs) yep, is fictionalized. Yeah, but um, I I mentioned this in part one of the episode, but uh, Willie Mays was called up into the major leagues in 1951. Uh, so his last at bat in the minors would have been that year. Uh, and it says that Grayson was 27 at the time. And so how old do you, how old, when you, when you think about Grayson, how old a dude are you thinking? I'm thinking maybe like 60. I was thinking sixties, like 65, 70. Yeah, or no, I'm not necessarily thinking 65, 70. I, I'm thinking like 60 because if it's if this is back in the 70s or 80s, you know, he's still working, I guess. But he he was baseball until he was 40 years old. So it's not like he had a job with a retirement plan, really. Right. And that being 40 would put it at uh, 
he would have been 40 in 1964. So like if he was, if he's say like 64 years old, that'd, that'd put the year 1984. Okay. Now that feels kind of right for this. I could see a town still being pretty divided in 1984. I mean, we still have towns today that are still kind of divided like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so so it makes sense. But yeah, they mentioned how they can't talk about these stories without playing baseball. Uh, well, it starts with Maniac just pulling out a baseball glove and kind of tossing a, glo- a ball into it by himself. And then they end up tossing the ball back and forth. And next thing you know, they have to be outside because they're throwing the ball and... Next thing you know, Grayson's kind of teaching him how to play baseball the right way, not just here's how you hit the ball, here's how you throw it. He's he's actually showing him how to play the game. I like the line, with a ball in his hand, the park handyman became a professor. Mm-hmm. And stiff, yes. crooked fingers that grappled clumsily with crimpet wrappers curled naturally around the sharp uh, uh, the shape of a baseball. Yep. So yeah. he, he had a ball that he threw called the stop ball. And we know that Maniac McGee is killer at hitting balls. And this ball, he could hit it, but he he could never get it out of the uh, infield. Apparently, the ball, when he would throw it, it looked like a normal ball. And then as it got closer to the plate, it might as well have just stopped and dropped on the ground, which is clearly a fictional throw. I mean, no, <laughs> it does it's not, not obey the laws of physics. I looked it it's up. not. A stop ball is real. A stop ball is a type of knuckleball. So it's not okay. it's not an official type of pitch, but it, it you can use it like, you know, in a pickup game or, or something like that. So you're never going to see it in the major leagues. Okay. The closest you'll get to that is a slider, but it, it does exist. It's a type of knuckleball. Okay. Huh. And I looked it up. I, I was like, oh, really? Because I thought it was fake, too. <laughs> I, I just looked it up, and the first thing that comes up is Maniac McGee. What is the definition of a stop ball? So, I mean, it, you know... Again, this is a book that I don't think a lot of people either remember or even read, but it it has some love out there for sure. So at this point, uh, they get to it's October and, you know, kind of like how we had seen the, the trees getting anxiety in Charlotte's Web. This is a this is another good description. The trees trimming the field were flaunting their colors. I thought that was kind of neat. He tells him he got he should go to school. Grayson tells him he should go to school, but he's like now, and but he says I I kind of am. I'm uh, learning, and he tells him that the money that Grayson gives him, he gives him like fifty cents or a dollar to get crimpets and all that. He goes to the library with it, and he buys the used books. Uh, he can get them for five or ten cents a piece. And he's got ancient math books. He's got travel books, spellers, mysteries, biographies, music, astronomy, cookbooks. And the old man asks him, like, you can't make up your mind what you want. And he says, I want them all. I want to learn everything. And again, this is where it comes his the the love for books uh, in this book. Literacy boners. Yep, literacy boners. <laughs> he He's reading it. And he he brings it up to him to show him that he's learning. He's like, you know, look at these triangles. He's like, does this, this isosceles triangle, does this look equal to you? And the old man's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, we'll prove it. And he goes, well, I need a ruler. He goes, nope, no ruler. And then he he proves it to him. And uh, a couple days later, Grayson asks him to teach him how to read. Because one thing Grayson can't do is read. 
And he ends up telling him that when he was a kid, his parents were drunk all the time and he was left on uh, on his own and he was put in classes where they just cut up paper and played games. Uh, he had heard the teacher tell the principal that these kids had never learned anything and he pretty much stopped trying because why if the adults saying you can't do it, why? Why try? And he uh, he ran away at that point when he was 15 years old. So he was like maniac. Yeah. They yeah, they're homeless. actually really similar. Yep. Whoa. Whoa. No wonder <laughs> they get along. Yeah. Well, and they're yeah. both loners kind of. I mean, you know, Grayson when he met Maniac was a loner. That's true. You know. Yeah. So he switches to work in part-time. Of course, the superintendent makes sure he knows that he's not going to get paid for the time he's not there, which I mean, clearly guy, but you don't have to say it. So, uh Yay, capitalism. He, they went and they went to the library and they bought some of the uh, some children's books, something that'd be easy for Grayson to learn how to read. They went and got a blackboard and a piece of chalk and Maniac went to the task of teaching them how to read. And I really loved the descriptions of him learning how to read. And yes. he yeah, yeah, yeah. The old man showed an early knack for consonants. Sometimes he got M and N mixed up, but the only one that gave him trouble day in and day out was C and the way he describes C he describes it he uh, Grayson thought of it like a Bronco that he got dared to ride when he was in Texas and he they say it as he would saddle up that C climb out uh, climb aboard and grip the pommel for dear life and old C more often than not it would throw him whenever that happened he just climbed right back on and ride her some more pretty soon C saw who was boss and gave up the fight but even at their orneriest consonants were fun <laughs> there's that folksiness coming back in and oh yeah yep. <laughs> giving an unconventional characterization to uh to certain things well and, and very entertaining. I, I hadn't really even thought about this until i'm sure i have before i'm sure it's even been brought up to me before but he says uh vowels were something else he didn't like them and they didn't like him there were only five of them but they seemed to be everywhere and he noticed that, you know, some of the consonants you you don't see in other in all the words, but it seemed like you couldn't get past a syllable without running into a vowel, which is true. I mean, they're, they're in the order backbone. To, well, yeah, basically, in order to make a word, you need a vowel. Yeah, That's, you almost you have to have them trying to think of a word that I'm trying to think of a word without a vowel myself. I'm pretty sure that that's impossible because it's I. A E I or U and sometimes Y, which is why we have words like bye. <laughs> there is a word without a vowel. Well, there's a couple. Oh, okay. but I don't even know that I don't even know that I would call them words. <laughs> um, <laughs> nth to the nth degree. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Shh and <laughs> pst and hmm. Which are technically words. Mm-hmm. That's another one. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the <laughs> longest word without a vowel is rhythms, but why is there? That yeah. Sometimes yeah. why. And why sometimes why. So yeah, all of the words without vowels that are actual words have why in them. So no, technically there are no words without vowels. Awesome. Yep. So, <laughs> it, you know, they keep going through the baseball themes here and stuff. He says it, he he's looking at these vowels as his best knuckleball come back to haunt him. And he says the kid was a good manager and tough. 
So, I mean, even like he's thinking about it like that. And finally, Maniac writes a sentence on the blackboard and Grayson looks at it and reads, I see the ball and Maniac loses his mind like, yes, you're reading. And they yeah, it said uh, Grayson's smile was so wide he'd have to break into sections, break it into sections to fit it through the doorway. So, I really like this part in my head because the way it the way it sounded in my head was great. It was Maniac, Maniac whooped. You're reading. I'm reading. That's how it sounded in my head when the old man said it. I was just like, that's great. <laughs> Hooray. Hooray for school. Hooray for school. Hooray for school. Hooray so first, for me. The first book Grayson reads is The Little Engine That Could, and the kid didn't really make a huge reaction to it, but he did end up clenching his fist and saying, amen. And Grayson's confused by that. Cause he's like, who prayed? And maniacs like, you don't got to pray to say, amen. It just means you're happy. It, you're just excited. You really like something. And so next thing you know, maniac was hugging Grayson and Grayson was awkward about that. Like he had never really done that kind of stuff before hugged another person and so he uh, ends up making Grayson a, uh, what was it, a cornbread muffin. Because at this point, Grayson keeps bringing stuff over for him. And he's got a fr- refrigerator. He's got a bunch of plastic plates and dishes. He's got um, a mat that was brought over to him. But the kid doesn't sleep on the mat. He only sleeps on chest protectors. He's got a chest of drawers. And at this point, he even notes that it's actually homier than his room over at the Y. So So uh, Maniac is just being a great host. He's offering him, he's like, butter? And he says, sure. (laughs) But this, I really like this. Something to drink with that, sir. Nah, muffin's enough. The apple juice is excellent, sir. It was a great year for apples. (laughs) That, that's just great. (laughs) Good banter. And then he asks Grayson to stay the night. And at first, uh, Grayson's like, no, no. And but it was late and uh, Maniac laid the mat down and, and Grayson's like, that's supposed to be for you. And making Maniac's like, nah, I'm sleeping on these chest protectors. And finally, Grayson just went ahead and laid down and went to sleep. And with this one, it was something deep in his heart, unmeasured by his own consciousness, soared, unburdened for the first time in 37 years. Since the time he had so disgraced himself before the Mudhead and Scout and named himself thereafter a failure. What happened was the weight of the failure was lifted and it was mm-hmm. replaced with the accomplishment of learning to read. And that just having a weight like that off of your chest is oh, that feeling is yep. amazing. I got that feeling so, when I paid off my student loan. I was like, this is the last check I'll ever have to write for this. <laughs> oh, man. And now nice. I'm done with it. Yay, capitalism. So Yay, here's capitalism. A, here's, a, here's another, folksy, another folksy part that was really great. For most of November, Winter toyed with two mills, whispered in its ear, tickled it under the chin. On Thanksgiving Thursday, Winter kicked it in the stomach. I thought that was just such an interesting way to say it. <laughs> they went to a uh, football game and two mills won with a last minute 73 yard pass to from Dennehy to James hands down. And 
Maniac lost his mind and was trash talking, but at the same time, looking around, making sure Mrs. Beale wasn't anywhere to hear him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Still, gotta be on the lookout. Don't want to get slapped. Yep. And being as though it was Thanksgiving, they went back to the uh, the baseball room and they made themselves a Thanksgiving chicken and got some hot plates out and made a bunch of other foods, SpaghettiOs, applesauce, raisin, pumpkin pie, and of course, butterscotch crimpets. Maniac says his grace and he says this is the best Thanksgiving he's ever had. And, you know, he hadn't had Thanksgiving with the Beals. And so for him, it's been, I mean, he was three when his parents died, so he wouldn't have remembered those. And every Thanksgiving since then has been his aunt and uncle. I imagine one year with his aunt, one year with his uncle. And uh, he asked Grayson, is this your best one too? And Grayson says he doesn't know because he hasn't tasted it yet. Maniacs, like, <laughs> glares at him. He's like, Grayson! And he says, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. The best, Maniac prompted. And uh, Grayson replies with, the best. And, you know, he goes on to thank, uh, say thanks for the place that they live and uh, how Grayson had been learning to read. And he made sure that uh, to ask that the Beale family were doing good, and hopefully they knew he was wishing them Happy Thanksgiving. And they stuffed their faces, and they listened to a bunch of polka records. I have something to to put in about this polka. What are you guys familiar with polka other than Weird Al? <laughs> my my mom's side of the family is named Noak, sir. Okay, so you are obviously <laughs> know about polka. I know about polka, Andy. Nope. I am mostly Spanish and Irish, so we don't do such silly things as polka. We flamenco dance with potatoes. There's no Spanish polka? I mean, there's like Mexican polka, mariachi, but... uh... Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's not Spaniard. (laughs) It's not Spanish. That's Mexican. So the area I'm from, uh, there's one town called Ubley, which is, I believe, 90% Polish people. So I heard Polish... Polish music and polkas growing up at weddings at just various things. So I know multiple polkas. So the fact that this guy has 31 records of it, that's just, that's mind boggling. (laughs) That's so much polka. That's very Bavarian. Oh, he's, yeah, that he's in Frankenmuth. He's just a (laughs) Frankenmuther. I know about polka i've heard polka over the years i can say that i could not discern one polka song from another polka song they to me right all sound very similar (laughs) yeah i can agree with you yeah yeah i mean the beer barrel polka is in my head right now (laughs) so at this point after the after dinner's done after they've danced their polka and they're finally kind of super tired uh, Maniac asks him if there's any paint around and Grayson says, yeah, what color, what color do you want? And he says black. And so five minutes later he comes back with brown paint and Maniac's like, that's fine. And he opened it, stirred it up, grabbed a brush and he goes outside to the door and he writes 101 on the door. And that is how he came to live at the address 101 Banshell Boulevard. Because again, an address is so important. 
to Maniac. He's got a home now. He's got a home and he's got a family. You know, this is a father figure to him. And yeah, he's now finally allowed himself to f- to feel like he has a home and, f- and a family with Grayson. Right. Because at first he was apprehensive about you know, being under his care and everything, but uh, they they grew into each other. Yep. And now they are they are a family. And Grayson doesn't really take to trying to be a, a dad or a father figure in in the way where he tells him what to do or gives him discipline. He takes to it in more of a, I'm your friend. I'm here to help you. You know, I'll tell you stories right. and we can be buddies. And, and that's what Maniac needs because he can obviously take care of himself. So we move from Thanksgiving on to Christmas pretty quickly here. Grayson's fully moved in at the band shell at this point. Uh, the guy over at the Y lets them use the showers over there so they can stay clean. And they've put a wreath on the door and there's nowhere to put a candle for the window. So they they spray some use some spray snow on the window. Um, they had decorated the inside of this band shell room like like Santa's workshop, basically. And they got so off into decorating that they ended up even going out into the woods and decorating a couple trees out in the woods because they just couldn't get enough decorating trees. Uh, Grayson made a wooden reindeer that was big enough for a maniac to sit on. And yeah, they these guys just were loving the Christmas spirit. I really like this is a very folksy sentence. Uh, it was about how they were trimming the outside tree. And it says, this time the ornaments were nature's brilliant red and yellow necklaces of bittersweet, pungent uh, pine cones, wine red clusters, clusters of sumac berries, abandoned bird-bodied boats of milkweed, delicate thumb-sized goblets of Queen Anne's lace. So the imagery is still right. very powerful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I loved it all through this book. He just... He nails it on the imagery. And and the folksiness of it. Yep. So on Christmas morning, Maniac was the first to wake up as kids are wont to do. He wakes Grayson up and he's they they turn on the space heater and kind of get bundled up and they went outside into the into the morning. The dark part of the morning, yeah. And so they went to the trees in the woods and they checked those out and then they ended up uh, going to a den where they figured some muskrats lived, and they put uh, the old man put a pine branch on the doorway, probably to keep out the cold. And uh, maniac said Merry Christmas. He whispered Merry Christmas to him. They went to the zoo, and they went up, and they were wishing everybody at the zoo all the different animals Merry Christmas. He went to the buffalo pen. He jumped in there, and he had made a scarf for the buffalo. It was actually like four scarfs tied together. And they nuzzled each other and headed back, uh, headed back to their place as the town was waking up. They had eggnog and hot tea and crisp cookies and carols and colored lights and love for breakfast. Ah, uh, love for breakfast. Love for breakfast. Maniac's <laughs> gift to Grayson was a pair of gloves, a woolen cap, and a book. But this wasn't a book that you buy at the store. It was a book made out of construction paper and staples. And he had written it himself and drawn stick figures. And the book was titled The Man Who Struck Out Willie Mays. And Grayson read it for him. Well, he read his his name in it. 
And I'm sure he read it for him too. And when Maniac started opening up his, he got a pair of gloves, some butterscotch crippets, and a Snow White never used baseball. And that was, he was super excited about all that. But then, of course, Grayson reaches down into another baseball bag and pulls out something he's been hiding. And it's wrapped in newspaper. And when Maniac gets it open finally, he realizes it's Grayson's old ball glove. And, you know, to most kids, it would have just been a piece of crap ball glove that was already beat up and ruined. But to Maniac, he knew this ball glove had memories. It was a a ball glove that knew how to play. And so (laughs) it states it states here, the boy could not take his eyes off the glove. The old man could not take his eyes off the boy. And, you know, at this point that Grayson loves Maniac and he would do anything for him. They sat there, they listened to Christmas Polka, and it clicked off, and it was quiet after that for a long while. And then five year, five days later, the old man was dead. I literally broke when, yeah. I, read, when I read that sentence. I bawled. <laughs> yep. Another example of like the highest high crashing to the lowest low. Yep. Yeah. It's like they I, could not be closer together, could not be more more loving and cheerful and then with with no reason given just five days later he was done yep he died that's got to be devastating to the psyche (laughs) oh man of this kid grayson was usually the first one out of bed and on the morning of december 30th when maniac woke up it wasn't the silence that woke him it was how cold it was and he went over to Grayson and he tried to shake him. And when he took Grayson's hand, he noticed he was cold. And so it must have he, been that just he, he had frozen to death. I don't know that he froze to death. That I think Grayson's he was just. body couldn't take the cold. I, you know, I, I don't, don't know, know that it was that either. I think he was just an old man, you know, and he went in his sleep. Yeah. His heart grew two sizes that day, but you can't survive with an enlarged heart. Right, right. It's hard to it's hard to survive with an enlarged heart, and that's what happened on Christmas. But so, so maniac ended up not going to tell anybody right away. He just kind of laid down and sat there holding on to Grayson's hand. And by the time he had any ability to move. Uh, he sat and read the books all day, all the books that Grayson had read. And by the time he got up to to go, he noticed it was dark out. So he just went to decided to go to bed. And when he moved the chest protectors over to lay down and go to sleep, that was the first time he cried. The funeral was awful. Uh, it was only Maniac McGee there to mo- to mourn. And not even the zookeeper, the superintendent, or any of the people that knew Grayson, as far as he knew, showed up. The pallbearers were just awful. They were just more worried about getting the hell out of there. Everybody was smoking cigarettes, and they just wanted to get out of there. And uh, Maniac and nobody noticed. Nobody was there for Grayson. They just kind of pressed into service the town's trash collecting corps. And yep. So they, it was just a bunch of dudes hired for the hour to... Uh, to bring the body in and bury it. Yep. But the uh, the minister was either really, really late or wasn't going to show at all. It reminded me a lot of Scrooge's funeral in A Christmas Story. Yeah. Where no one remembers him, no one's there to care for him. It's just, and it's sad. It's really sad. 
it's sad, but this one has a little bit of light to it because even though there was no one else there, had he not met Maniac and had they not built their relationship, Maniac wouldn't have been there. And Maniac doesn't even stick around. Uh, he sat and they, the funeral director is like, ah, let's wait two more minutes. And they sit there for one minute and Maniac leaves after the other because at, he had wished he didn't even come because the event going on had nothing to do with the man who once lived in the body in the wooden box. So he realizes that that body isn't Grayson. It's Grayson's gone. Yeah. And that brings us to part three of the book. All right, conference guys. I was going to say, it's, we're at an hour 45. I think we should just maybe do yep. part three as a separate episode. <laughs> we're doing a part three. Yep. It works. We're right at part three. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. This is actually okay. a really good time to stop. Yep. yep. So we got through the end of part one and we went through part two. So we are going to stop here because it's late and we're tired and I have to pee <laughs> and I'm going to go make the creek rise. <laughs> Proud of you. <laughs> so we are going to end this episode with an announcement of um, our our contest that we're going to do. Uh, because Harold and I uh, ordered our crimpets off of Amazon, the smallest order that we could get involved uh, two packages of crimpets um, being sent to us. And we, rather than you know being smart and coordinating and each of us taking a box, we both ordered two packs. <laughs> so we each have an extra box and we're going to give them away to two lucky listeners. So if you want to try butterscotch crimpets for yourself, uh, just send us an email at reliterated at gmail.com or make a post to any of our socials, really. Just use the word crimpets and we'll throw your name into a hat. We'll uh, have a drawing and two of our listeners, we are going to either send or drop off, if you're close enough, a whole box of butterscotch crimpets from Tasty Cake in philadelphia and they are definitely worth interacting with one of our social medias uh we are at reliterated on twitter we are r slash reliterated on reddit and we are reliterated on instagram yeah, and we're also going to have some we're going to post all our episodes and some bonus video content to our youtube channel as we said before, we recorded a video of our first impressions of eating butterscotch crimpets, our uh, our unboxing, if you will, and trying them for the very first time. We're gonna gonna put that up on our YouTube and our subreddit. So now you can see all of our beautiful faces. Yeah, you get to see what what, what our handsome mugs look like. Oh, you'll get to see my magnificent beard. I know that. <laughs> yes, it is quite magnificent. So. We're going to take a break. You're going to take a break. And you are going to please, please come back for part three of episode three. The conclusion oh. of Maniac, Maniac McGee. And quite the conclusion it is. <laughs> Definitely a lot to talk about in part three. So we can't wait to see you there. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.